2: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The coaching carousel is always a source of intrigue in December and January. But as the Gators learned this week, the NFL's version can bleed into college football long after we think the ride is over. On today's show, we'll convene FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and the voice of the Gators' Sean Kelly for a roundtable chat about the unexpected changes to Billy Napier's staff, another SCC crown for gymnastics, big numbers for baseball, men's basketball staying alive for an NIT bid, and concerts we'd love to see in the PAT. Then, lacrosse goalkeeper Sarah Resnick joins us to share the psychology behind the position, how she's managed to bring Long Island to Gainesville, and much more. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet healthcare destination with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. Let us jump into our roundtable with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. And the voice, the Gators, Sean Kelly. And uh, guys, let, let's start with football. Just when you think things are, are quiet, there tends to be noise. Um, I don't think anyone was expecting a lot of coaching news to happen in the last week, but that is the way things go as uh, pieces continue moving once the NFL wraps up and starts making changes with their staffs as well. Uh, so as a result of a, a, few, a series of moves, uh, Billy Napier's staff has multiple changes now. Uh, what do we know as of now? And again, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, things can always change, but as of Wednesday morning, uh, what do we know about the, uh, the shape of Billion Apier's staff and what it's going to look like going forward?
1: Well, Adam, I mean, you know, it's that time of year where the coaching carousel starts to spin, right? And, uh, you never know in this day and age, you know, who's going to be coming and going and, you know, in the last, uh, what, 10 days, the Gators, you know, they lost three assistants to the NFL starting with Patrick Tony who joined the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, he was a defensive coordinator. And, of course, William Piegler, the uh, tight ends coach, also went to the NFL with the Cardinals. And then Kerry Colbert, the receivers coach, uh, took a job at the Broncos. So uh, it, it just uh, is part of the uh, the dynamic of coaching right now in college football. Uh, you know, Billy Napier's talked about this in his time at Florida. He uh, He's talked a lot about the NIL and how the, the game is changing and, about just other factors that led him to create a list, basically a depth chart of coaches. So when this happens, you know, he has guys already in mind to quickly fill the spots. And we saw that uh, already with Austin Armstrong, the defensive coordinator, replacing Patrick Tony. Uh, he came here from uh, actually a, a stand at Alabama. He's had Alabama on Nick Saban's staff for about a month. And before then, he was a two-year defensive coordinator at Southern Mississippi where he was uh, hired at 27 years old, the, high, or the youngest defensive coordinator in FBS. And then the obvious, the obvious question is, well, what's his connection with Billy Napier? Well, guess what? He has a pretty good one. He uh, he was at Louisiana uh, under Mark Hudspeth for, in 2017 as a graduate assistant. And then Billy Napier takes over the program. And, and this guy is so young in his career. He's like, you know what? I know a lot of guys are leaving here, but I'd love to stay if you can find a spot for me. And, of course, Napier arrived at Louisiana with in mind what we've seen at Florida of expanding his support staff and doing some things that uh, you know Nick Saban did at Alabama when Napier was there. And sure enough, uh, Armstrong got a position as a, a graduate assistant on defense, was there for a year. Then went to Georgia for a season as a defensive analyst under uh, Dan Lenning and Kirby Smart. Then Billy Napier hired him back at uh, Louisiana for linebackers in 2020 to coach linebackers, and he lands at Southern Miss in 21-22. And now here he is at 23 at Florida. So that just showed you uh, what the the world is like for coaches. And uh, It was interesting to talk to Austin Armstrong. He is, you know, he's 29 now, but he looks about 17, 18. I mean, but this guy. <laughs> He's been he he loves the game. He's prepared all he's ever wanted to be is a coach, man. And he told me the story just about, you know, when he was uh third grade, he dressed up as Steve Spurrier on career day with a headset and everything. And uh he this is living in York, Alabama. So he said his classmates uh, threw a lot of stuff at him that day. But it's obviously worked out for him. Now he's a 29-year-old defensive coordinator at Florida and uh it's going to be interesting because he's he he Obviously, the system that he inherits, he's very familiar with having worked with Patrick Tony at uh, Louisiana. So uh, as he said, you know, there's going to be a lot of familiarity. There will be some differences, but he's the one going to make some changes, not 70 people already here. Uh, so anyway, that, that's kind of the latest where they are. And now, you know, he's got the tight ends job open and he has the receivers job open and you know, there's some names starting to float around out there and with spring football starting later this week and uh, Billy Napier on a press conference Saturday. We'll see if anything becomes official before then. Uh, but either way, they'll they'll have those spots filled. But right now, Austin Armstrong is the new guy in town.
0: Can I offer just a couple of thoughts on, on how the situation has gone and some things that I've heard from fans and critics of the program?
2: Scott just ripped off quite a monologue there, so it, it's a tough act to follow, but...
0: Scott gave you all the stuff that matters, right? I'm just giving <laughs> you my response to some of these things that I've heard. Number one is if these coaches weren't happy with being on Billy Napier's staff, I think that this whole thing would have gone quite differently. It's not as if these three coaches left at this juncture to go to some other college program. They left for the NFL, okay? So I that's how I read that situation. And then on the other side, the other criticism is, oh, Billy Napier didn't like these guys on the staff. Well, if Billy Napier didn't like these guys on the staff, I'm not so sure he would have waited until 10 days away from the start of spring football practice to make a change. So um, I've just been a little salty with some of the reaction to those three men departing for the NFL, and I felt like I would wait until Adam called upon us for the roundtable to voice my frustration with that reaction and maybe offer those thoughts. Otherwise, just go with what Scott said because that's what matters. That's the information and the story behind what's coming our way.
1: I'll follow up Sean with saying I'm I'm in the same camp as he is. I mean, so when you get when you get a chance to go to an NFL, you know, you can spin the story ever how you want. But all these guys, I mean, that's what they've been shooting for, and they got an opportunity. So I understand Sean's saltiness. So I've I've lived in my house
2: here for like two and a half years, and there's still some things that I haven't really gotten to. That you know, I was going to put something on the wall. It never happened. Do you guys think that most assistant coaches in football ever even unpack when they go somewhere new, or do you just kind of keep a go bag ready? Because I, it's just it's it's such an insane lifestyle. Um, but as, as you noted, Scott, when you're running through um, Armstrong's timeline, it's just, I mean, that's just that's the
1: life, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, he was a, such a young coach, unproven coach. I think that's typical, maybe of a guy in his shoes. But I do think there's some a bigger discussion here, guys, in the fact that until there's some real regulation of NIL and what coaches can and can't do, I mean, you, you, you don't have to look too hard on the Internet. There's coaches out there every day talking about how difficult the job has become in college football because, you know, you have to recruit. And then you have to recruit the guys who are here to make sure they come back. And then if you lose them, you have to recruit the transfer portal and also, guess what? You get to coach some ball in there sometimes, but it seems like it's less and less. So the NFL, man, these guys can get up to the NFL. They can coach ball. They can plan for games. And I mean, I, I've said this on another show this week, or maybe wrote it. Can't remember. But I mean, if I was a, if I was a coach, I could. I would probably want to be in the NFL only. That's just you know with the way college is right now. But the guys who do this, they're wired a little different. We all know. And I think um, you're, there's always going to be good candidates out there for places like Florida. So it's not a problem finding the guys to replace the guys who leave, but also understand why they might want to leave.
0: And and one last thing, Adam, and I know we got to move on. I want coaches here at Florida that NFL programs would like to have at some point. Mm-hmm. So I think this is also a plus.
2: Yeah, very true. I want to talk about gymnastics here for a second, Scott. We've talked about their journey a number of times throughout this spring, and they've hit a, another important benchmark, milestone if you will, on that path that they hope leads in a national championship, but it starts with winning the SEC, which they did again this past week.
1: Yeah, Adam, the uh, fifth consecutive SEC regular season title for the Gators uh, on last Friday night. Um you know, that's it, Jenny Rowland probably said it best in her press conference. She's, you know, we we're talking to Trinity Thomas and Peyton Richards, a couple of the seniors who only know about winning SEC titles. And she says, look, they probably don't quite get their head around how, how big of a deal this is. But believe me, the coaches and our staff do. And, you know, that's a tribute to, to Jenny Rowland and her staff for who they brought in. And it's also a tribute to the gymnast, no more so than Trinity Thomas. You know, I've kind of been on the Trinity Thomas beat the last few weeks. And, I mean, it's amazing to see what she's doing consistently at 21. And, you know, gymnastics is a sport where most 21-year-olds are, have already retired. But a Trinity is not only, I think, at her peak, she's been getting more difficult routines in her uh, performances. So it's just been fun to watch. And this weekend's a huge test. I mean, number one, Oklahoma. Number two, Florida. Two of the teams that most people expect to be in the Final Four later on this spring for the National Championship. So we get a little bit of a preview out in Norman uh, this weekend. And uh, But yeah, you just, you got to give a lot of credit for what the Gators have done this season so far.
2: We will definitely see how that goes out in Norman, but probably the most anticipated regular season meet of the year in probably the entire sport, if you consider how highly regarded both Florida and Oklahoma are. At this point in time. I want to talk about baseball now for a second. I think we talked last week about the opening weekend and uh, baseball is eight and one at this point. They've scored double digit runs in six of those eight games. They're not going to cover off the ball. Um, They did have a midweek loss that was disappointing. But I think as as you kind of look at this, Scott, those midweeks, they happen. They're usually not indicative of where a team is in general. Uh, It's one of those quirks of baseball. It's almost you almost have to look at the midweeks differently than you look at your your weekend series.
1: We know they're going to be a great offensive club if this keeps up. I mean, I think they're averaging more than 12 runs a game uh, right now. And Jack Caglione, the uh, the sophomore pitcher, uh, first baseman, DH, leads the country uh, with seven home runs. He was co-SEC of the, uh, Player of the Week last week. And, I mean, guys, I, I was out there Sunday afternoon, and I've seen a lot of home runs hit. Uh, That was as far as I've ever seen a home run hit. He had three of them. One of them went 462 feet, left the ballpark, and, uh, you know, got people buzzing. And obviously, they're talking a lot about him this week uh, in the national uh, college baseball circles. And he also throws 99 miles per hour. So uh, Jack Haglione has, I think, a very bright future in baseball. Uh, But the Gators themselves... Uh, They're getting, you know, they're pitching that you expected. They're still working out some things in the bullpen, still defining some roles. Uh, But I don't think Florida fans could ask much more right now where they are. They're heading into a weekend series at home against Miami. And we all know what that's like, uh, that rivalry. So uh, Condren Ballpark's going to be hopping this weekend, fellas.
0: Yeah, expecting big crowds for this weekend. It'll be a top uh, 20 matchup, basically. Uh, Back to Cagallion for a minute, Scott Carter. Not only does he hit the 462 foot home run, um, he had three in the game, one of which was a line drive with an exit velocity of 118.2 miles per hour. Wow. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. And by the way, he was the SEC co-player of the week. Was Babe Ruth the other <laughs> player of the week? I mean, who had a better week than Yeah, just,
1: That was shocking. amazing. I had to look that up because it was Dylan Cruz at LSU who shared the honor. I think Jack had 29 total bases and Cruz had 13. So I don't know how they even that out there, fellas. Uh, but I I have a feeling if uh, if Jack Caglione keeps this up, he'll 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 win that award by himself sooner than later. Uh, He will,
0: and Cade Curlin won't be far behind him. This is the true freshman that's actually not even a freshman. He's like a pre-freshman, if you really want to look at this. He comes early. He had a couple more hits to start the the midweek series against Jacksonville. He has at least two hits in all seven now of his collegiate starts to bring his career. (laughs) It's amazing. He's found himself in the leadoff spot with the injury to the center fielder. And then, meanwhile, all we talked about going into the season is Wyatt Langford, right? And so the All-American has kind of been buried here in the Gators' offense, yet he's still putting up All-American-type numbers. It is staggering So what's happening with this offense. 119 hits. That's over 13 hits a game. Um, Tuesday night, season high, 17 hits, 18 runs scored against Jacksonville. The the midweek pitching, as Scott alluded to, is a bit of an experiment right now, but Man, the weekend rotation right now is is pretty stout, and um, as advertised, these Gators are uh, off to a great start. I, th- th- this weekend is big. Not only will it be a great atmosphere at Condren, but um, get your first real test, legitimately, for the Gators this weekend.
2: Let's turn our attention out of what's going on with Todd Golden's team, and right now the the real battle, Sean, is to see if this team can can qualify for the postseason and, and get over five hundred. Um, They they took a pretty big step toward that against Georgia on Tuesday and and sweeping uh, the season series from the Bulldogs, which, you know, given where Florida is, what they're playing for, pretty impressive they came out the way they did. Because there's not a ton you're playing for when you're where they are, but they still found a way to take it to Georgia on the road and and show that even without Colin Castleton and all the adversity they've been through, they still have some fight left in them.
0: Yeah, it's it's eight straight wins over Georgia. Let's start with that precious news right there. I, I do love that. It's eight straight in the series with your arch rival. It snapped a three-game losing streak uh, and and really was an impressive offensive and defense, defensive performance for the Gators. They put it all together. The win on Tuesday also kept them out in the opening round situation of the SEC tournament next week. So they're not involved in the opening round Wednesday games. They're automatically a Thursday participant. Uh, and as you said, got them back to 500 overall and and kind of pushes them, I think, very close now to the NIT situation. So LSU comes on Saturday. I like Florida's chances on senior night at Exact Tech Arena. But it was interesting. At, after the Vanderbilt loss this past weekend, that, that was three straight. Gators had lost six of their last seven. I was concerned about the mental situation with the Gators and where things stood with two games left in the regular season. Talked to Myron Jones, who had a great game, a double-double, his first career double-double on Tuesday after the Georgia win. And I asked him kind of about that. And he said basically that they they decided as a group, we're not going out like this. We're going to do what we can to finish this the right way and try not to let, you know, Vanderbilt seemed to be a a low low point for them. And instead of kind of just mailing it in, turning the whole thing south and heading off into the sunset, it was nice to hear Myron say that they weren't going to go out like that and that they had something to prove and something to get done here before the end of the week. And that showed on the floor, obviously, on Tuesday against Georgia. Sure was cool seeing Jatobo here, who's kind of – stepped into that starting center role, get a career-high four blocks against Georgia. Riley Kugel now at seven straight games that the numbers are just outstanding. And Kyle Lofton has really put it on his shoulders. He has been beaten around the last couple of games and has just put his nose into the mix and uh, done what he can do here to end his Florida career as well. So Chris will have more insight on this, obviously, but it sure was a nice feeling to get on that plane on Tuesday night, head back from Athens with that win. And, And look, no, it didn't vault you into the stratosphere or turn your season around, but it sure was a nice way to start this final week of the regular season.
3: Well, one of the things that obviously, you know, Todd Golden didn't go into the season pining, uh, saying, hey, man, our goal is to make the NIT. And, 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 you know, that's not something that's to be celebrated. But at the same time, everything what Sean was talking about in terms of the uh, mental aspect of where this team might have been following that Vanderbilt game, following three straight losses, uh where is this season? where is everything going since Colin Castleton um was injured um everything he said was right. I mean they 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 put that game together and I tell you what so you're talking about a team with basically no offensive low post presence because even when say Shimmy had his eight points at Arkansas, I mean he had, he had two three pointers um here's this team that basically with that's that's playing all perimeter players or excuse me, getting production, Its production is coming from all perimeter players. They shot 63% inside the three-point line. And to think they were that efficient from inside the three-point line, in addition to Will Richards making a career-high five three-pointers on his way to career-high 24 points, um, there was some stuff going correctly for them the other night. Now, having said that, Georgia has been um, a defensive uh, crime against college basketball humanity the last four (laughs) games. So they really uh, took advantage of that. Now I, I, I will say, but you do still have to make shots. And when you're talking about, uh, I think uh, those uh, the, the four guys on the outside. You're talking about Will Richards. You're talking about Myron. You're talking about Kyle, and you're talking about Riley Kugel. <laughs> they scored 65 of the team's 77 points. Wow! So that's that that's high perimeter production, uh, numerical, and both inside those analytical numbers that um, Todd that Todd likes to crunch. They guaranteed themselves, or excuse me, they put themselves in position. To have a break-even SEC record. This is a very difficult league. If the Gators finish nine and nine, that, that'll be good. It's not what they aspire to. Like I keep saying, I keep going back to that. They wanted more out of this team, but circumstances and results have put them in this this predicament. Florida's not had a losing season since 2014 15, has not been had a losing SEC season since 24, uh since 1415. So they'd like they they want to keep that string going, obviously. And we'll see how far this this season can go with the team in its current situation. So that means a Thursday game, I think they'll be anywhere. They can be anywhere, I think. I was just trying to, just a few minutes ago, trying to crunch these numbers. Somewhere between a 7 and 10, I think. Sean, is that about right?
0: Uh, I'm okay with being 7 or 10. I like the 7-10 game because if you win that game, you avoid top-seeded Alabama in round one. So, Mm -hmm. um, yes, sure, let's say that we're 8 as opposed to 10. But if it's 10 – I'm more than happy with the seven ten game. Anyway, that's just me.
3: Yeah, yeah. And if it's a, if you're playing the two, would that be A and M?
0: That would at the moment that would be Texas A and M.
3: Yeah. Now, having said that, Florida played A and M and lost a, a, a two game by combined five points, having it with Colin Castleton, of course. But uh, uh, you look at matchups like that. But the, the bottom line right now is you want to be you have to beat LSU. You want to finish nine and nine in the SEC. You want as favorable circumstances as possible. You want to send even though Colin will, will will not be playing in that game, obviously you wanna you wanna send he, you wanna send Myron, you wanna send uh, Lofton out with a nice salute, with a victory, and two straight wins would be a little bit of momentum going into going into Nashville next week.
2: Moving on to our PAT, I'm I'm inspired by my trip to Vegas this past weekend, uh, where I did not go to any of the restaurants you guys recommended because they are entirely too expensive. Um, although a uh, pro tip. Everything in Vegas is super expensive now. I don't believe it's possible to sit down for a meal on the Strip for less than fifty dollars. Um, that's my my anecdotal uh, evidence there. Um, but one of the things that makes it expensive is uh, is shows. That's we, we were there for the shows. We did lose one dollar gambling. We put a dollar in a penny slot. Thought that we get to play like a bunch of times, and it was just one. Hit. That was it. It was over. Um, We could do a separate PAT about how gambling is pointless and and it doesn't really make sense to do it. But this isn't about that. This is about the main reason we went, which was for big time entertainment, uh, specifically getting to see Usher and Katy Perry. What's cool about seeing these residency shows in Vegas is that it's it's huge artists in venues you're usually not able to see them in, in small, intimate settings, as opposed to big arenas or stadiums. We did not get to see Adele because Adele was, I believe, $1,500 per ticket to see Adele, um, which is way too high a price point for Adele, if you ask me. But what I'm curious for you guys, what artists would you most like to see in that type of intimate setting? It could be someone you've seen before, and you want to be in you know in, in in that in that environment or someone you've never seen who you'd love to see in that setting. The floor is yours.
0: Well, my first scenario is impossible because it would require time travel. But
2: time travel is acceptable. That's acceptable for this.
0: Well, if it, if that's acceptable, then I've always wanted to be able to go back in time to go to Los Angeles, get a convertible Cadillac, drive from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, and then take in the Rat Pack in Las Vegas
2: you've clearly given this some thought before
0: yeah absolutely I have yes <laughs> yes that, that would be a dream scenario for me for Las Vegas
2: I actually
3: had I had some friends of mine who were with the one of the Super Bowls in Miami in the 90s and they saw Sinatra Liza and Sammy Davis Jr at a concert which was the Friday night before the Super Bowl and I mean that's like real life. Uh, they they got to see that. That would have been really really cool. But obviously, time travel changes everything. I mean, uh, how about Beatles at the Cavern Club?
2: I'm allowed to do that one, right? What's the? Ca- I don't I don't know what the Cavern Club is. Man, you listened to too many Taylor Swifties, <laughs> man. I just like this. my God, I, <laughs> the Beatles at the
3: Cavern Club. That's what is where, the Cavern Club? That's where Club? they started. That's where they started playing in Liverpool, where they were discovered. In oh wow! Little, in a in a in a bar like that i mean the closest thing that i have even remotely to have any kind of iconic person in an intimate um, atmosphere i was i probably told this story before in 1980 i was a lifeguard at a, at a pool in arlington virginia and we heard that there was going to be a surprise concert in georgetown at a place called the bayou um and we knew somebody that, that worked there and I, I could not get tickets so we, we knew someone worked there, but he could not get he goes "It's 400 tickets they're they're it's they're impossible my friend and I went out to Georgetown that night uh, to have a few pops and we ran into, I recognized this guy because I followed this. I, I said, I know who it is now. I know who it is. And I saw a saxophone player having a, a a drink at this bar. Next thing you know, I come up and start talking to the saxophone player. He was surprised I knew who he was. Next thing you know, I have two tickets to see Billy Joel in front of 400 people in wow. the middle of his, uh, uh, in his absolute heyday, 1980, and they made... The, they used that uh, tour um, where he played nothing but his old music to make a, a live album called Songs from the Attic. Three of the songs were from the concert I went to, um, and I actually took pictures. Uh, I stuck my camera in and have pictures from that where Billy Joel has a big mop of a uh, floppy hair and whatever. So uh, that and he was absolutely, as you can imagine, fantastic. With him in a bar, people were bringing me drinks, and Billy Joel was playing his piano twenty feet away from me. Fabulous night. Sean looks like he uh, he would have appreciated something like that. So um that's one of my highlights.
0: Is that Mark was that, Mark, was that
3: Mark Rivera? It was Richie Cannata.
0: Richie who Cannata. Was
3: before, who was before Mark
0: Rivera. Absolutely. And then came back after
3: Yes, I think yeah, I think he did. I think he went to play with Sticks and 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 then actually came back. But he was in there with either the card player or bass player, which I think is David Brown, if I'm not mistaken. And then Liberty DeVito, the drummer, joined them a little later on. So, uh, But then Billy wasn't in there doing that, but I, I, I got a backdoor in, and it was a hell of a concert, as you can remind him Two and a half
2: hours in a bar with Billy Joel. Hmm. That was, Scott, that's a tough act to follow, Scott.
1: Well, it is a tough act to follow because I, I don't have – I mean, I've been to a lot of concerts and a few intimate ones, but not quite up to Billy Joel recording for a live album type experience. But if you're asking me, since we can't time travel here and it it shows my age a little bit, I mean, I've seen all I mean, I'm a kind of a rock and roll guy and I've seen most of my favorite bands in person. uh, But one I never got to see was Led Zeppelin. So if you put me in an intimate setting, first of all, I don't think Led Zeppelin played a lot of intimate setting. (laughs) They were a stadium and a arena kind of band. So you have to bring your headphones. But yes, I would. I would love to see that band perform in an intimate setting because I remember when they did the concert at uh, Wembley back in 07 or the arena over in London when they joined and had J- uh, John Bonham's son on drums. I watched that theme from start and they put on a great show. But unfortunately, they never are going to get back together. We know that. So that was, since we can't time travel, that would be my pick.
2: Well. If a time machine becomes available, we know that you guys have a good use for one. So we'll make a note of that. Uh, and we'll also be sure to check in on all these things we talked about next week. A very busy time in Gator Athletics. So we'll let you guys get back to it, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, Adam. There are certain positions within team sports that often seem as isolating as individual competition, especially kickers in football and goalkeepers in hockey, soccer, and lacrosse. As the highest scoring of the latter three, minding the net in lacrosse seems like a truly challenging task as you're almost certain to let in more shots than you stop. It takes a unique personality to excel in that spot, and for the Gators, that's Sarah Resnick. We spoke to the veteran about the challenges that come with that role, but began by learning more about her Long Island roots.
4: I grew up... Um... Well, originally, I actually was born in South Jersey in Voorhees. Um, And then I moved to North Jersey, like right after I was born. So I lived there for about seven years. So then, well, my dad got a job in um, New York. So I, at the age of seven, I moved to Long Beach, New York, which is on Long Island. Uh, Two younger sisters, Maggie and Amanda. Um, Maggie actually plays at Stony Brook. She also Mm -hmm. plays lacrosse in college. Um, and then I just have, um, both my parents, my mom, my dad, and I actually also have three dogs and a cat.
2: (laughs) You mentioned lacrosse being a, a big part of your family. Uh, how did that, how did that get started? Who had the bug first and what, what got your, you and your sister on that kick?
4: Yeah. So, um, I started lacrosse in third grade and my sister kind of just like tailed behind me and she was in first grade. So yeah, so we originally actually weren't even going to play lacrosse. I was originally like really into soccer and when I moved to New York, I was still really into soccer and I joined the like local team and um, that's where I like kind of started getting connected in sports like within my town Um, and I remember my... Uh, soccer coach was kind of just talking to my dad and I and she was like oh so what um spring sport is Sarah going to play my dad's like oh I was thinking like softball like it's pretty popular in New Jersey like at the time it was like probably the more popular sport I would say than lacrosse and because I've never even heard of lacrosse until Mm -hmm. I got to Long Island and uh she was like no on lacrosse like on Long Island we play lacrosse so
2: (laughs) (laughs) and on Wednesdays we wear pink those two
4: things (laughs) um so basically um I just kind of went from there I ended up not playing softball and I just picked up the stick and I ended up loving it and I decided I really wanted to um, be competitive in it and yeah and my sister followed right behind me she was basically the same footsteps, but she was two years younger. So she got the, uh, the two year, I guess, head start that I did.
2: Mm. So for, for those that don't follow the team closely, they would probably not know that you are a goalkeeper. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so curious, is that a position that you immediately gravitated to, or did you start as a field player? And then what, what was your, your journey, uh, to minding the goal?
4: <laughs> it's actually a pretty funny story. Um, so when I first started playing, obviously my dad bought me the, like the normal stick and goggles and I would go to practice the first couple of times. And I was kind of just learning how to play lacrosse, you know, like picking up the ball and mm-hmm. stuff. It was a little weird at first. Um, and then one night at dinner, my dad was like, um, you know, like your team needs a goalie. Like you should try to volunteer to play goalie. Now, most people are thinking like, why on earth would a father tell their daughter to voluntarily step right. into goal? Like, in a lacrosse that, but he was actually talking about soccer when he told me that
2: oh. <laughs> soccer,
4: needed a lacrosse goalie, but I didn't know that. So I went to lacrosse practice the next day and they were like, who wants to try playing goalie? And I was like me and I volunteered and um, my dad was obviously mortified because he was like, Whoa, <laughs> like you first of all, just started playing lacrosse and now mm-hmm. you're just going to jump right into playing goalie. Um, uh, But I ended up loving it and I, was pretty good at it, I guess at first. So I kind of just stuck with it and yeah, <laughs> mm. it's kind of weird story, but <laughs> yeah.
2: Huh. So I'm I'm trying to get into the mindset. I, I find the, the psyche of goalkeepers of goalies, anyone who's in that position is so interesting because it, it's, it's a position where you almost, you have to be really good with failure because you're going to fail more often than you're going to succeed. So I, I just wonder, like, what is that like? How how different is the mindset as a goalkeeper because of the nature of the position?
4: Yeah, no, it was definitely something that took me a while to learn because with like soccer, I, you know, they only let up maybe one goal, maybe one or two, right. maybe three right, right. goals a game. It's very much low scoring. So when I got to, like, lacrosse, that just wasn't the case. There's always a goal scored. It's rarely shutouts. And so I had to just develop, I guess, that mentality over the years. My dad kind of always taught me, like, to have a goldfish mentality. Um, <laughs> so basically, goldfish, supposedly, um, they have, like, a really short memory. They do Right. So I was kind of just taught, like, you know you're gonna let up goals and especially as you get more progressive in your you know career the obviously the shooters get a little better and like they're gonna score on you so I had to kind of develop that like you know you're gonna fail but you're also you will have successes as well like as long as you work hard and um yeah so it was definitely like an adjustment but I think it's honestly helped me a lot in my life as well though like Hmm. I feel like just being able to play in this position, like it's taught me about failure and, um, just like how to move past it and everything. So
2: do you find that from talking to other people who play the position, is there some like unique characteristic that runs through all goalkeepers, something you have to have innately that allows you to play that position at such a high level?
4: Well, I feel like whenever we talk with, like, other goalies, we all kind of agree that we're just, like, a little crazy. Like, <laughs> <we> just, <laughs> like even when I'm at practice with, like, my other goalies on my team, like, we'll talk about, but, like, oh, that shot really hurt. And we'll, like, show each other our bruises and everything. Yeah. So I feel like you just have to have, like, the mentality, like, I guess, like, kind of put your body on the line and, like, mm-hmm. not really, like, care about it. But, yeah, like, I feel like you also have to, like, really enjoy doing it. Um, I play the position I play for my teammates and like um, I wouldn't want to do it otherwise because it just wouldn't seem like it's like that fun to me. If like, Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't successful or my teammates didn't, you know, believe in me or anything. So I feel like when we all discuss it, we just, we all kind of like disagree that we're all just like a little crazy. And um, (laughs) (laughs) it's honestly a pretty funny conversation. If you ever like put a bunch of goalies in a room and like talk about
2: it. (laughs) So you mentioned being from the Northeast, Uh, you're far from there now. When and how did Florida get on your radar to the point where you were like, okay, let's let's go to Florida?
4: <laughs> um, so Florida was um, on my radar probably from like the very beginning. Um, it's also actually funny. Like before I even knew I wanted to go to Florida, uh, my younger sister was obsessed with Florida. Um, <laughs> like from the time she was in fifth grade, um, her her club coach actually. Um, shannon gilroy she played here Mm -hmm. Um, so like she was like obsessed with florida all that and then i got into the uh recruiting process um towards the end of i guess it was like um towards the end of seventh grade which is crazy to even think about that that's wild thing like back then um but yeah the recruiting process i guess started to begin like your seventh grade year going into eighth grade and then eighth grade summer was when you really like had the college coaches line up and watch you play. Um, but Florida was always on my radar. Um, I remember visiting for the first time it was the, um, I just finished my lacrosse season in eighth grade and I flew down to Florida with my mom and I just absolutely fell in love with it. Like just everything about it. Like I, I mean, of course, like when you walk around, it's just beautiful and being able to see all the um, facilities, everything that was offered here. And then honestly, it was kind of hard for me to like visit other schools after that. And like, I mean, obviously, there was other schools that were they had things to offer. But I would just constantly like look back and be like, Oh, but Florida had this and Florida had this. So I guess I really didn't mind being far away from home, like at that age, like, and even now I don't mind it. I feel like Um, we're surrounded by so many girls from Long Island, so you don't really feel that far away from home. But yeah, like it's kind of crazy to think that like I've gone to school in Florida for the last five years and like Mm. I just I've been so far away from home, but it's definitely been an experience.
2: I'm curious because you talked about seeing other schools and it was always, well, they, you know, Florida has this, they don't have this. How different was Florida just in terms of the overall, just the experience of being on campus, the size. I'm just thinking, and it's not to throw any shade at, at Stony Brook where your sister goes, but <laughs> Stony Brook's a very different kind of place than Florida. And a lot of the schools that play lacrosse at a high level in the Northeast, it's just a, it's, it's a different culture, right?
4: Yeah, no, it's it's completely different. Like whenever I was honestly just on the phone with her, and we were just actually like talking about how just like completely different things are like she was even saying she like had she went to a fueling station and they only get one snack per day to go <laughs> there. and to me that just blows my mind because we have this incredible hevner dining hall now that like we can go to for three meals a day mm-hmm. and you also have snacks there you could take with you like it was it's like basically unlimited so it's just like kind of unreal to like hear the different experiences that people have at like other schools and I even saw like some teams were fundraising for um just traveling for their for their games and stuff and like I've never I'm thankful and grateful I never like had to experience that but it's just goes to show like how much different just some of those schools are when compared to like the University of Florida it's it's incredible honestly
2: so when you came to UF and going from Long Island to Gainesville, what were the biggest challenges of that adjustment? Was it the weather? Was it parts of the culture? How did you how did you assimilate into uh, into being in Florida as opposed to being in New York?
4: Um, honestly, I didn't really feel that much of adjustment with the weather. I feel like I've spent pretty much all of my summers playing club lacrosse in 100 degree heat. Oof, so geez. yeah. <laughs> so like when I got to school, it was kind of like just playing in it every single day. So like, you kind of just get used to it. But I think the hardest challenge for me was just kind of playing at the high level that you know, college is like, I feel like you would kind of experience that everywhere. Like, the speed is it's just faster. It's everyone works harder. And then you have lift like you know, a couple days a week. And then you have to do your schoolwork. And obviously, the classes are much harder here than most schools and in and obviously in high school. So I think that was like the hardest adjustment for me. And then also like just being away from your parents, like it's the first time you're like, you're you can't just, you know, even get in a car and drive to them like they have to fly to you to see you. And like, that was probably like one of the hardest things. But After a while, you kind of get used to it, especially here. Like, like I said before, probably half our team is from Long Island. So Mm -hmm. we all kind of like relate about being homesick, like all the time, like, oh, I miss, you know, I miss like, you know, going to the bagel store, like, and, you know, I miss the beach because a lot of people were much closer to the beach yet. Uh, But I would say that was probably the biggest adjustment.
2: Other than family, that's the easy answer. Other than family, what do you miss most about home? what can you not replicate? What can you not find? I, maybe maybe I should also take bagels off the board because that's an, an easy answer as well. Um, but you can use bagel if you want. I don't want to take bagel off the board here.
4: Well, yeah, I, I mean the bagel, sure. Um, but I, <laughs> can def- I can definitely live without that. Um, but I would say the thing that I cannot replicate here is like, at least for me at home, I live four blocks from the beach. Wow. So I, when I come to school here, I feel like And it's really not that far. But to me, I feel landlocked. And I feel like it's just like there's nowhere for me to like, you know, can't just like escape to the boardwalk and like, you know, look at the waves like and I can say that honestly, I could say that about going to school in Florida. And I could say that if I you know, I don't live in Long Beach anymore someday. Like, I don't think I can ever like replicate that um, experience. So I yeah, that that was definitely a big adjustment for me as well.
2: It's funny too, the idea of kind of the, the perception where everyone thinks of Florida as the beach and yet you think of where you are in Florida as landlocked and yeah. most people don't think about the beach in New York. They just think about the city. So it sort of goes against the conventional wisdom there.
4: Yeah, no, that is, you know, in the palm trees like try to throw you off a little bit, yeah. like you know, <laughs> you know, in warm weather, but there, you know, and there is, you know, there's things to do in Gainesville, but it's there's nothing like just walking up to we have a boardwalk too so there's nothing like just walking up to the boardwalk or riding your bike up to the boardwalk and just you know going for a nice bike ride and like you know Mm -hmm. even in the winter months it's you know it's cold but it's it's beautiful so um that yeah that was that was really hard for me as Mm -hmm. well
2: i like asking this question to a lot of our international athletes um New York is not international, but it's, it's different enough that I'm hoping there's something good for this. But mm-hmm. what what is something that you've encountered or whether it's a custom, whether it's a food thing, what's something that's unique to the South or at least the part of the South that you're in that you cannot make sense of? That just it's never going to click for you, but it's just part of the culture in the South.
4: Well, like just the idea of um, having like gators just like in a lake, like drives <laughs> yeah. people- crazy like I mean I tell my, like I'll tell my friends from home and they're like they could just they're just like in the wild like you just walk past the swamp and like there's gators in there and I'm like it's yeah. on the
2: sidewalk yeah like on Gal yeah. <laughs> like, yeah.
4: you just walk around it and it just like like blows people's <laughs> minds um so that's one of them I would say I don't know even just like the football culture like we don't have school big schools like SEC schools like that in in the north in like the northern you know mm. states. Like we don't have like a huge state school in New York. Like we have um Binghamton, I guess, and um like Syracuse, I guess in a sense, but yeah. like they're not they're not Florida. Like you're not like, oh yeah, like when they when people see like a gator like that you went to the University of Florida or you're or you're wearing like your Florida lacrosse sweatshirt, they're like, wow go gators. Like no one's gonna walk past you. I don't know, like, go no one knows knows what, like, even, like, my sister goes to Stony Brook, and, like, this is no, you know, shade or anything, but, like, a lot of people around the country don't know what Stony Brook is. It's not, like, a well-known, like, school unless, you know, like, they watch lacrosse or, like, you know, a well-known sport or something like that. So, I think that, like, just the idea of, like, people tailgating on the street, like, lining up their car at 6 in the morning, and, like, Mm -hmm. they show up to the football games at 7 p.m., like, I think that was, like, a really, like, that's just, like, a very Southern, like, um, thing, I feel like.
2: This podcast is going to be a huge hit with the Stony Brook crowd. We're going to have, like, <laughs> a huge huge spike <laughs> in numbers from the Stony Brook people trying to figure out why they keep getting their name mentioned. Uh, yeah, no, I know,
4: yeah, that, I feel like that,
2: <laughs> yeah. Whether this is now or or people from the past, we were growing up, who are some athletes that you look up to, people you admire that have maybe inspired you and and your path?
4: Um, well, I'm a huge, believe it or not, I'm a huge Phillies sports fan, so.
2: Really? Wow. How did that happen?
4: My parents are from Philly, so I grew up um, just being, like, a diehard Eagles fan and a Phillies fan, and. Um,
2: Tough few months for you. Sorry about that. Yes. Oh.
4: No, it's been, it's been hard. You know what? We won the dunk, we won the dunk contest. Oh, that's yes. right. That's right. So, you know what? <laughs> he wasn't even on the team, but he won, so
2: silver um, linings i like the silver linings there
4: yes i was gonna ask
2: you which new york teams you call your own but it sounds like the answer is none of them
4: um i will root for the jets sometimes but it's more for like just because they i just want them to like do well at some point like just so <laughs> bad. I, I will root for them that's about
2: it you mentioned earlier that you're in your, your fifth year and part of that is because of covid and where that happened Uh, I'm curious, when you look at where you are now relative to when you first got to Gainesville, how do you think you've changed the most, whether it's both on and off the field, how you've grown?
4: I feel like my freshman year, obviously, like when you get to college, it's a huge like social scene and like, you know, even like just being on the lacrosse team, it's a huge like big deal social scene. Um, But I feel like as I've like gotten older, I've like kind of stepped away from that and I've kind of just learned to do things like on my own. And I've become like more invested in just like my schoolwork or even just like, not necessarily even what's like, for school, like, I feel like I've just like, become more into like, learning and like reading and like all that um, stuff. So I feel like I've adjusted in that sense. Like I've, I guess i matured in a sense, like, Mm -hmm. um, but like, yeah, I would say that that's changed a lot. Yeah, it's also weird, because I've played with so many different girls throughout the years. Like my freshman year, like obviously like there's girls now that are getting married and I'm still playing on the floor to <laughs> lacrosse. <team>. Um, <laughs> but now I'm like the older one and I'm like the older one by like a lot. Cause I'm a fifth year. So like, I feel like now it's like kind of crazy to think that like there's freshmen on this team and like when they're seniors, I could be like, you know, getting engaged and getting married. It's like crazy to think that like, yeah that's how many years that like I've been here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Again, perspective. It's all about perspective. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of final things for you outside of lacrosse. And you mentioned earlier, the grind of their school, there's practice. You, you don't have a lot of free time when you do have some time to yourself. What are things that you enjoy doing?
4: I love uh, just going on walks. I've been trying to like find different places around Gainesville to walk. Cause I, you know, I feel like I haven't really experienced Gainesville, and, you know, believe it or not, I've been here for five years, but I have, like, just done, like, nothing. Like, I don't really know the city at all. Um, So I feel like I've been really trying hard to, like, find places to go on walks or try new, like, food restaurants and, you know, places to eat. You know, even just, like, coffee places and whatever. Um, I also love listening to true crime podcasts. Okay, one
2: of those. One of those. (laughs) Top true crime podcasts.
4: I love Crime Junkie. I've always been like a um, huge crime junkie girl. I started listening to them during COVID, like when I had nothing to Hmm. do. Uh, But they're great. And um, the host is just like really good. I like how they both like talk throughout. I started listening to um, Murder With My Husband, and it's just basically this, like, married couple, and she'll, like, kind of, like, um, read, like, what the, you know, case is or whatever, and he'll just, like, make comments throughout the whole thing. He'll be like, <laughs> oh, here's the cameras, like, whatever, like, it's kind of funny, it co- becomes kind of comical, but yeah. I'll listen to, like, random ones if I hear someone say there's, like, a good episode on this one, or I love true crime podcasts are great
2: <laughs> but the first podcast i've listened to is serial and i never got past that in the true crime realm so maybe i should dip my toes back into that i know there's certainly no shortage of uh, of supply when it comes to true crime podcasts
4: no no i feel like it's gotten like more like I feel like people are really, like afraid to say they were into true crime podcasts then all of a sudden like one person came out and said like oh like do you listen to true crime like and now everybody listens everybody's to it. in it. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. Final question for you. You mentioned the uh the long journey you've been on at UF. Uh you're early in your season right now, so I know it's not quite like the uh Time to look at what's next, but I'm curious. What do you see yourself doing once you wrap up your career as a Gator? Are you are you headed back north? Do you like it in Florida? What what is the what does the future look like for you? Yeah,
4: so I'll definitely be heading back up to um, New York, like the Northeast area. Um, I loved my time here in Florida, but it's not for me. Like yeah, I <laughs> too
2: many <laughs> Gators on the streets.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Um, I also just like love the speed of like, I feel like everything's just super slow down here. Like, you know, I just, you know, I want my coffee in like 30 seconds, like, and all that <laughs> stuff. um, but I am actually applying to some accelerated nursing programs right now. Um, I've heard back from like a couple, so I have like some options and, um, one's in Philly and a couple are in New York. So, um, I'm going to do that and then hopefully become a nurse and, um, yeah, that's that's my plans for, for right now. But
2: That's a solid plan. It's better than the answer most people have for that question is I don't really know yet. And they yeah. don't tend to figure it out until it gets really late in the process.
4: Yeah, so. no, I've always kind of known what I wanted to do. Um, it's changed a couple of times, but I've always kind of stayed within the medical field realm. Um, but ultimately, I decided nursing was my my go. So I've been uh, invested in that lately.
2: <laughs> It'll probably be less painful than being a goalkeeper too. Less, less bruises. I would assume,
4: Maybe. Maybe. I would assume <laughs> unless
2: you have some very violent patients that I guess could make that more complicated. <laughs> um, well, Sarah, we appreciate your time. Thank you for, for sharing your story with Gator Nation and, and good luck to you as you move through your season. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales.